0: Welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, this episode of Off the Couch is not exactly the episode that we thought we were going to be recording. In this conversation, I am joined by blister reviewer Gordon Janini and our new running editor Matt Mitchell and to be very honest what we had in store for you was more of a brass tacks nuts and bolts guide to thinking about running in the winter and in snow and in colder temps and some of the accompanying gear for that and some other best practices but that my friends is not where this conversation headed and to be honest all three of us were really happy where it did end up and it does kind of make sense of this episode title winter running and the meaning of life and so as you'll hear us say, we still think that nuts and bolts conversation about how to do running when it's snowy out or the temps are really cold, that's still a very good conversation to have. It's just not where we got to today, and so we will have that conversation down the line But I think we touch on a number of really big and pretty important topics in this conversation and certainly some topics that are every bit as significant and probably more profound than trying to figure out how best to layer for cold weather running and whether Gore-Tex running shoes actually make any sense. Again, we'll get to those topics at another time, but for now... Let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Matt Mitchell and Gordon Janini. Here we go. All right. Well, I am very happy to be talking this morning with Gordon Janini and Matt Mitchell. Gordon, I nailed that pronunciation. Do you remember when I couldn't re- pronounce your last name? Oh, yeah. That's just like a distant memory. Now I'm just, I'm just right there all the time. Don't miss. Killing it. Yeah, it's good. It's good to see progression in life. Um, Our topic today is sort of the perpetual question of winter running and what should one do? How should we live? And so, you know, I thought this would be a good time to revisit this topic with the two of you. And I think a good place to get started would be having each of you talk about sort of your own history and experience with winter running and sort of where you've done most of your winter running. So, um, we've got sort of a tale of two cities here with the two of you. Um, Gordon, why don't we start with you?
1: Yeah, I love it. We should, uh, call this winter running and the meaning of life. I grew up in Colorado, um, grew up in Durango and spent, man, my first 24 years living in Colorado, um, between Durango, which is pretty cold and snowy in the winter, and Gunnison, which is extremely cold and snowy in the winter. Um, I've also been a lifelong Nordic skier, and so I've kind of bounced around between running in the winter primarily and primarily Nordic skiing in the winter. And then most recently, I have moved up to Logan, Utah for grad school, and it's kind of a similar climate here, cold and snowy, except we get inversions too, so that's a really sweet bonus. But yeah, my my winter running background has pretty much always been cold and snow and potentially just skiing instead.
0: (laughs) Okay. Your winter running program has been cold and snow and sometimes not running.
1: Yeah, sometimes running in the cold and snow, I'm just just over it.
0: I mean, and this is going to be sort of our conversation for the day, kind of the why and when and maybe why not and potential alternatives and the like, so... Okay, Matt Mitchell, first of all, welcome to your first off-the-couch podcast. And second, we are so happy to announce to the world that you are our new Blister running editor. That's a big deal. Two big deals, uh, announcing our running editor and your first time on off-the-couch. Welcome, sir.
2: Yeah, thank you. Uh, Glad to be here. This isn't just my first uh, off-the-couch podcast. It's my first podcast. Wow. So really going three for three here. But <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm excited to talk about winter running because I think I have a different relationship, relationship to it than most people. Um, I guess a little bit about me. I grew up in San Francisco, uh, California, still here today. Um, and I've done, apart from one very rainy winter in Portland, Oregon, all of my running has been on the trails just north of San Francisco and the Marin Headlands around Mount Tam, where it is, I guess, plagued by seasonal confusion sometimes. And uh, for instance, last week it was 65 degrees and sunny, um, whereas, you know, the rest of the country was getting hit by a bunch of snow. So uh, yeah, winter means
0: different things to me, for sure. Well, before we dive into these topics, I thought, you know, we maybe ought to start with sort of your worst winter running story or anecdote where you know your heart was in the right place intentions were pure but the wheels just kind of fell off the wagon um gordon my hunch is that you might have more stories than matt i don't know if i'm right about this but um you know you just given what we've just learned about where you have lived versus where matt has lived but gordon what do you have along these lines
1: Yeah, I mean, I could just say, like, pick any day running in Gunnison between, like, I don't know, October and March, and most of those are pretty safe bet. Um, But a particularly good one, um, so this was 2016. I had just transferred to Western as a freshman, second semester freshman. Um, Yeah, and so, like I said, I grew up in Durango, which is definitely wintry, but when you compare it to Gunnison, it's, like, kind of the banana belt, honestly, Durango, you get some snow in town, it's like kind of cold sometimes, but the trails are always packed out, you can still kind of go wherever you want uh, in the winter, and so that's what I was used to, and I get to Gunnison, and it's like mid-January, depths of winter, you know, probably minus 20 every morning, um, and me being the uh, overambitious freshman trail runner that I was, I was like, you know, everybody always talks about Signal Peak, that sounds really cool. I really want to go run to Signal Peak. And for uh, folks that haven't made it to the Gunnison Valley yet, A, you should. B, Signal Peak is, um, it's like, I don't know, nine miles or so out and back from the western campus and like 1,500 feet of climbing. And in the summer, it's awesome. Run up there all the time. It's great. In the winter, basically no one goes up there. And so... Here I am. I'm like, all right, I'll put on some running shoes and like a light jacket because it's winter. I don't want to overdress and like get all sweaty. Um, and I'll leave at like three o'clock. That's plenty of time to do 10 miles before it gets dark. And so I start going up the ridge and it is like totally untracked, almost waist deep post hauling. That might be a slight exaggeration, but at least knee deep. Wow. Rather than rather than taking the intelligent approach and turning around, I was like, I got this. Let's go. Extra, extra challenge. So I get all the way up to Signal Peak, post-holing. It took me, like, an hour and a half, maybe two hours to go four miles. Oh, my God. In the last section, there was, like, a little crust on top of the snow. So it was actually, like, crawling up the snow to try and stay on top of the crust. Great. And, of course, by this time, it's, like, starting to get dark. Didn't have nearly enough layers. As soon as the sun goes down in Gunnison in the winter, the temperature just, like, plummets. So getting very, very cold. And I uh, still have a post hole all the way back down to the ridge in the dark. Um, luckily, the moon was out, so I could, like, see my post holes from the way up and kind of follow them.
0: You didn't have a headlamp.
1: Oh, no, no. That would be way too forethought, too much forethought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I got back to campus at, like, I don't know, 8 p.m. or something. Oh, man. <laughs> Just, like, totally dehydrated and, like, bonking and frozen. It was, yeah, that, that was pretty bad. That was a mistake I only made once.
0: Wow, and what about like frostbite seems like a real possibility in this scenario? Did you escape unfrost bitten I did yeah,
1: luckily, um and I think mostly because I was like working so hard post hauling that I was generating a lot of body heat but yeah that like that's one of those things you look back on. And it's just like, God, what was I thinking? That was really dumb. that could have been really bad, so
0: that's you're You're a really smart guy, that's definitely the dumbest thing I've ever like heard about you or from you. so wow, okay, Matt, I don't know that you can possibly top that, but I'm all ears yeah i
2: don't I don't think I can either, but I'll give it a shot. Um, yeah, my best winter running story in the bay area was a few years ago. Uh, I was over in the East Bay over by Oakland and there's some great trails over there. Uh, especially in, uh, Tilden park. Um, so I had like a, you know, hour long shakeout on my schedule and, uh, it had rained pretty consistently over the previous weeks. So started off my run, got (laughs) onto the other side of Tilden, which kind of dips down into, um, some nice meadows and a few valleys. And, uh, it's all pretty much fire roads over there. And I was running down and, before you know it, I was in the type of mud that you don't get out of. It was like walking through peanut butter. And uh, I forget what pair of shoes I was wearing at the time, but they had pretty deep lugs, and the mud just clung to them like like paper mache. And again, it was like a sixty to seventy five minute run, and It ended up taking me like three and a half hours to walk out of there, get back to my house. Um, it was like a seven miler, and yeah, very memorable one. But uh yeah, that's uh that's when I learned that from about January through April those trails are off limits just because they turn into to quicksand.
0: Those were two good anecdotes. We had the mud story and the post-holing story. So I think that I think we're doing I think we're well on our way to describing the potential joys of winter running. Well, I think with that set up, we're in a good spot here to then just talk about the notion of running year round, and I just would be curious um, where to hear from both of you where you are currently on that topic, and if your thinking on this has kind of evolved or changed over the years, or maybe just as you've learned more, you know, about sort of best practices. Matt, why don't we start with you? Where are you at these days on this?
2: Yeah, so running is my main sport, and I live in a location that allows me to do it year-round. Um, running in the winter in the Bay Area is like one of my favorite times to run. Everything is kind of growing back to life. Um, it's all very green, and the trails aren't as populated as the summer. Um, but my stance, or my attitude towards running year-round is, I think, Fraught these days because I tend to abuse running as a sport and have ended up definitely uh, with some pretty significant overuse injuries because of that. Um, so while I still do run year round, I think I've I've learned more about the sport and like what my body can handle and have um, shifted my approach to running to make it more sustainable um, to where I can kind of get the benefits in my running economy of like being a higher mileage runner.
0: Well, share with us a tip or two, or what have been one or two of the most significant adjustments that you've made that have worked for you personally?
2: Yeah. So periodizing my training has helped a lot. Uh, just acknowledging that like any other major sport, um, you kind of need to treat it like, as a season so um come fall when the racing season's uh kind of petering out i take like two weeks of no running just to kind of let my body reset and by that point i'm pretty beat so it's timely Uh, and then from there i'll i'll run um a a little bit less and see it more as like a social um activity rather than like you know something i really want to train for and then another helpful thing is to cross train. I think uh, when the weather turns sour, I'll you know cycle inside, and that'll naturally kind of reduce my volume a bit. So that's been super helpful. And cross training is a great way to provide prevent burnout as well. I think you know when you're running 12 months out of the year, it kind of begins to lose its luster, especially when it's constantly dark and no one else is running. Um, So that's helped me a ton.
0: Okay, what do you mean by cross
2: training? For me, cross training means getting out on my bike a few times a week. Road cycling or? I do a bit of gravel as well as uh, mountain biking. Um, I'm not competitive at all when it comes to riding my bike. So I kind of use it to explore areas that I wouldn't have otherwise. And it allows me to spend kind of an entire day outside, which is the point of like why I run, I think. Um, without the consequences of like really abusing the body
0: yep i i like that a lot the like finding that other form of training where you don't find yourself getting sucked into the performance rabbit hole of like i've got to beat my time on this ride or whatever like i just think like mentally that's a huge huge thing to kind of have in the like training quiver
2: Yeah, I think it became very apparent to me that I was not going to be competitive at cycling when I was getting smoked by dudes on e-bikes going up climbs. (laughs) So I'm just out there to, you know, ride my bike, see some stuff, eat some pastries.
0: Gordon, how about you? Has your practice and thinking about running year round as opposed to making running more of a seasonal thing evolved over the years?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think I've really kind of swung to both ends of the spectrum on this a couple of times. Um, So growing up in high school, I was pretty focused on running. At that point, it was cross-country and track. And towards the end of high school, I really was like, okay, I'm just going to run all the time. I don't want to be able to run fast in the spring and track. So like, screw this whole skiing thing. I'm going to be out here post-hauling and eating shit on ice all winter. It's going to be great. Um, Also... You know, like kind of based off of that story I told earlier, you can probably tell I really kind of go like to the extreme with everything. Um, (laughs) And so if I was like, yeah, we're running year round, I was like, yes, we are. We're running year round, literally.
0: I believe you. Yeah, I totally believe you.
1: And so that kind of similar to Matt here, that led to a whole bunch of injuries, really starting um, the fall of my freshman year of college and continuing Till the present. Um, and so that that first major injury I had, I stress fractured my femur and um, followed my freshman year, which is really, really fun. Would not recommend. Um, that kind of pushed me to the other end of the spectrum. Uh, that was also around the time I transferred to Western and started um, skiing on the cross-country wow. ski team there. Um, and so that kind of really drove me to the, the other end of the extreme where I was like, okay, once you know thanksgiving rolls around we're not running anymore we're skiing and we're going all into that and for me that meant still training really hard all winter just on skis instead of running and still racing a lot during the winter because especially with nordic you can actually race you know almost every weekend um which is dangerous for uh people like me um and then kind of more recently, uh, after I graduated from Western and was figuring out what I wanted to focus on, um, I again kind of came back to like, yeah, I really want to really want to focus on running. And I want to get the benefits Matt was mentioning earlier, of you know, running economy and just general volume and having that baseline of year round training. So the last winter I was in Gunnison, I attempted to run all winter. Um, and then this winter, that was kind of the plan was to run throughout most of the winter. Um, But I think what I've come to realize really is that I, I need to find that balance more effectively. And that means running some in the winter, but also particularly for me living in places with snow, skiing a lot and doing other things because I think the mental component is really huge. Like, I don't really usually struggle with motivation during the summer, spring and fall for running, but man, like trying to get out every day in Gunnison or in Logan where it's snow and you're running on the roads and it's like icy. It's just not fun. Um, and I think, yeah, sacrificing that, like, yeah, we're out here to have fun component in, in service of the like I must train all year, um, really isn't a healthy approach. Um, and then the other thing that I've kind of come to appreciate, especially this year, uh, is that, that also doesn't mean that I just get to like turn off the running brain in November and turn on the like full throttle ski racing brain. Um, cause I think one pitfall of that is that, you know, you go straight from hard training and racing and running into hard yeah. training and racing from Nordic skiing. And there's never a down period. Um, and I think it's really common for people to kind of fall into that pitfall, whether it's Nordic skiing or ski mountaineering or whatever else. Um, So yeah, really, really being intentional about not just switching it up and doing whatever is fun in a given season, but also switching it up in a way that isn't just like changing the competitive focus from one thing to another, like actually giving that a rest.
0: Huh. And for you personally, what does that look like then? Do you just have it on the calendar? Like you're your training program, like, Hey, you know, Matt talked about taking a couple weeks off where he's just like, I am not running. Um, what does it look like in practice for you? Right now
1: in practice, it looks like a work in progress because I'm still, I'm, this is still something I'm like thinking about and not necessarily executing all the time. So this, this year in particular, um, I ran a hundred miler back in September and that was kind of, uh, kind of a breaking point just because like after a race like that you have to take or at least I have to take a lot of time off to kind of bounce back but then after that it was really the plan was to just kind of get back into running training and kind of start building a consistent base throughout the winter for for races this year and as often as the case that resulted in injury and now kind of what I've landed on is Still running some in the winter, but also taking a couple of days to cross train. And what I'm really trying to hold myself to is to not then go sign up for a Nordic race every other weekend because I, yeah, I really do have the temptation. Like once I start getting more into the Nordic skiing side of things, I'm like, yeah, I want to race. This is fun. But yeah, so I'm trying to be more intentional with still running some, but not making that super competitive and then skiing a couple of days a week. Um, but not making that competitive either.
0: It's really funny. I, you know, part of my job is I talk to a lot of people whose specialties are in a number of different sports. And I don't have these conversations with skiers or mountain bikers, right? About I've really got to throttle myself. I'm really like, you know, like it is something that I do think is Certainly, I think we can generalize it is more true of endurance athletes, and it's probably not too wrong to say it is pretty common among runners, right? And I've been thinking a bit about this just, you know, as an as a alpine skier and backcountry skier, I have seasonality built into those sports, Right. The snow melts at some point. And it's like, well, you don't get to do those things anymore. You know, for mountain biking, it's like, well, the snow melts, but the trails are still too muddy to ride and it's not safe and you're going to mess up the whole trail system. So we kind of have, like, the playing field itself is just simply not around year long. Whereas, like, we can always go outside and walk which is a real close move to then just starting to run. And so I sort of feel bad for those of you where it, we, we talk a lot about identity on Off the Couch, right? And because I also think that this is something that is something a bit unique to runners. But like, what makes you a runner? Or no, 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 I'm not a real runner. And all these things. And I, it is It continues to be fascinating to me how this gets chopped up, but like runners to bring this around and in some, I think runners are just in a unique and somewhat cruel mental reality when it comes to these activities that, you know, we love and and it's all part of like outdoor sports, but y'all are dealing with some things that's just a little bit different than a you know, an alpine skier or a mountain biker. Does this resonate with you guys?
1: Yeah, I I definitely agree. Um, I think ultra running in particular takes a certain type of personality that you could often hear described as an addictive personality, which I think is a pretty fair assessment. And that really gets tied into the whole identity side of things. It's like, Yeah, I probably would admit to being addicted to running in a lot of ways. Um, And then that also gets tied up into my identity as a runner and just as a person generally. Um, It's like, yes, I am a runner. That is what I do. But it's also a big part of who I am. Um, And so, yeah, then like having that as kind of a driver, it's really tempting to just be like, okay, this is who I am and this is what we're doing all the time. Um, Full stop, like. I think that is a really dangerous tendency (laughs) and it really results in a lot of burnout and injury. Um, And I, I really think that's part of the reason those things are so common in ultra running. But yeah, I mean, I think where that leaves us is we have to be mature enough to, you know, enforce that seasonality and that uh, yeah, like taking that time off on ourselves because the trails aren't just going to go away. There is always going to be the option to go out and run and so it becomes much more of a an internal struggle to, you know, rein yourself in and be okay with that and not beat yourself up and be like, oh, I'm not a runner anymore because I like skied three times this week. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, no, you're just not an idiot because there's snow on the ground and you should go skiing.
0: Matt, what's your take on this? Yeah, no, I, I think Gordon um,
2: hit, it, hit it on its head. Um, I think also it's just really difficult to watch yourself lose fitness uh, once you're fit. And anyone that has taken a significant uh, time off from running due to injury or by choice knows like the process of like getting back to where you were can be just so painful. Um, It's one of my fears. So I think it's that like that combined with the accessibility of it, like asking yourself, well, like, the sun's out. Like why? Like why can't I run? Nothing is stopping me. The conditions aren't stopping me. Um, combined to to make running kind of um, very addictive and also um, like high risk. Like that's kind of why so many people get injured doing it. Um, I think like the last report I read was that injury rates amongst runners, regardless of
0: like skill size, are uh, over fifty percent a year. Now. One of the things we haven't exactly touched on is kind of the mental health aspect of this, because Gordon, hearing you talk about this, I mean, I think for so many runners out there, if if somebody listening to this conversation, I can imagine someone being like, hey man, running is literally what keeps me sane. So that's great, you guys talking about, like, back off and run less and go ski or something. And it's like, you don't understand my world. And I think that's actually a pretty fair and appropriate thing to then bring up. So I don't know. Is this, have we already said it? It's like, yeah, that's how, you know, working out in whatever its form functions, I think, for all of us, just maybe to varying degrees. So it maybe does seem I could imagine somebody listening to this conversation and, and saying, this sounds a little perverse of you guys to just be like, "Oh, just chill. you know, do something else, and you're like, "You don't understand me at all." Let me just pause on that. Thoughts on that? I mean, how how do you, or again, have we already said it? It's like, you gotta just move into some other areas or talk to me about what your experience has been, or if you've read things that have kind of helped you? figure that element out for this.
1: Yeah, I can, I can jump in on that. Um, I think personally, I definitely fall into the category of using running for mental health in addition to just generally enjoying it. Um, and particularly in the past, I've really struggled when I can't run for any reason, whether it's injury or just like, you know, I don't have time a specific day. Um, you know, it makes me anxious, makes me depressed. I don't like it. Um, And I think what I've come to terms with over the course of the last couple of years in particular, um, just with being, having so many injuries, um, that was kind of the cue. It's like, okay, something's got to change. And really, I think what it was for me is a kind of a mindset thing where it's like, even if I'm running, like there are plenty of people that do run year round and are perfectly healthy and it's fine. And I think the reason that that can work is if you change your mindset from a, I'm running always to get better all the time. And it's always like, you know, very driven towards a specific end point goal. That I think is what really leads to the burnout and the pushing it too far and just like going off the rails and hurting yourself. So I guess what I would say to the, the people that are like, yeah, but I need to run all the time is, um, you can totally do that, but you need to realize that some of the time you have to do it with the focus being like, yeah, today I'm going to go out and I'm going to jog super slowly. And I'm not going to think about X race next summer or like two years from now that I might theoretically do. I'm just going out for a run and I'm terrible at that. (laughs) But I think, yeah, that's, that's kind of where the, the ultimate solution lies is in being able to, to go for a run and have it just being going for a run and not like turning it into this whole, like, Oh, well I should be going harder. I should be working harder. Like, uh, I need to be training kind of thing.
2: Matt. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, um, it is all about like mindset shifts. Uh, I had to take six weeks off, um, earlier last year, or I guess last year, uh, to nurse a, a nagging foot injury and, the first two weeks of no running, even though I was riding my bike were, were tough mentally. Um, but the further away I got from running the I found that it was like easier to kind of cope with it. Um, and I kind of just questioned like, why do I like running in the first place? And I think it came down to like moving my body like over surface and you can do that in like multiple different ways. So I found cycling accomplished that to a certain extent um, and was enough to like fill the void that I needed um, from a mental side of things when I was taking a break from running.
0: I can't tell if people listening to this now, if everybody has sort of already figured this out you know, like, you know what I mean? Like if 10,000 people are listening, we've all by now, if you're over the age of, I don't know, 21, you've figured out the like alternatives or if this is still like a real thing for people. Do you have, you have a take on that? I,
1: I think it's definitely still a real thing. Cause I mean, even uh, like using myself as an example again, conceptually, I understand that you know, I need to be able to switch it up and take it easy. Sometimes that does not mean that I execute that on the daily. Um, You know, I went for a run this morning. And yeah, I probably should have taken it a little bit easier because I'm coming back from an injury. But like, I get carried away, you know, and I think that's true for a lot of folks. And yeah, I think it's it's a skill that you develop over time, like anything else. And it's not just like a aha moment where like, oh, cool. I like biking now and I will never be injured again. Uh Yeah. Like it's, it's definitely, it takes hard work, um, and like intentional practice to, to get it right. Hmm.
2: And I I do think social media has made that harder too. Um, just with, you know, um, certain websites that, that allow you to compare your runs to other people and your, your previous selves. Um, I, I don't think that is, Uh, the best feedback to get when you're, you know, on the couch, icing your knee, Um, as well as just FOMO, like running for a lot of folks is social and um, their main social experience is shared like on trails. And when that is cut out of your life for
0: a period of time, it can
2: can get really rough really quick.
0: Hmm. One of the things for me personally, and I I came to this later in life than um, than I feel like I should have, but um, it actually happened after I broke my neck badly in a backcountry ski accident. I think that was like four or five years ago, and um, you know, I literally I wasn't allowed to do anything. Right, like tore three of the four ligaments in my neck, crushed my C six C seven. You know had hardware installed they were like well if you don't get paralyzed during the operation you're going to actually probably be fine and but once this hardware was installed then the surgeon was like don't do anything like don't do anything like if you slip and fall or anything and this hardware rips out we're going back in and repeating the surgery with the same risks so i've talked a bit about this but the literally the only form of exercise i could do was walk and it ended up being an amazing chapter of my life because i realized like i would never go do 1 to 2 hour walks and and i mean this very much not 1 to 2 hour runs which for me always means hard runs <laughs> because i'm bad at like pacing myself at like an easy, you know, so like if I'm running, it's hard and I'm breathing heavy and not really thinking, you know, but the walk, it was, it was such a mind altering and mind opening period of life for me, where you just have this time to think and be outside. And the ideas that would come, it was on, I've described it. It was like doing drugs. It was like mind enhancing or mind altering drugs in the, like, not that I've done those, but like kind of what I imagine and I realized in that moment and this is a little mantra that I've taken sorry for this roundabout way of getting there that in that period I realized like everything is an opportunity and I think to be like good at life like tough things are happening they're coming for us they are there's no one's like oh all the hard things have now already happened to me that's all in the past hard things are coming for us And I think what I learned in that period was this mantra of like, everything is an opportunity. And that has been really useful going forward when it's come to other injuries or just other sort of what seemed like disappointments in life in the moment. (laughs) When that comes, our job is to pause and just figure out, all right, what door just opened? So it sounds like a bit for Matt that was discovering the bike. Or the the gravel bike, you know? And again, I really apologize if everybody already learned this lesson and I just was really late to the party on this one. But I mean it. That has been one of the most significant things I think I've learned as an adult. When that like, quote unquote, disappointing or terrible circumstance has happened, pause. Just pause. What door just opened here? Thoughts on
2: that? I think running takes a ton of energy. And when you can no longer run or you decide to kind of dial things back, you have all this excess energy that needs to go somewhere. And I think finding other like areas of your life to sink that into is like a, a great, like a, very, a simultaneously very hard thing to do, but a necessary thing to do during winter months or when you're confronted with injury. Um, so yeah, for me, it was kind of trying to sprinkle some of that energy into riding my bike, but also other areas of my life, like relationships and reading and Mm -hmm. writing and, um, and kind of approach those with the same intensity and perhaps like addictive qualities that I I bring to my running.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely echo that. Um, I think over the years with multiple, having multiple injuries, um, and just, yeah, multiple times where it's like, okay, we're taking a step back from running you do figure out the, the ins and outs of using that as an opportunity. And yeah, being injured also helped me find other sports that I really like, like mountain biking and road cycling. And I think that being willing to take that as an opportunity um, and yeah, being able to make that switch is, it's again, yeah, something that doesn't just happen automatically and it takes time and it's not easy, but um, it's, yeah, it's a super important lesson.
0: And it's interesting, we shared an example where Matt had a foot injury that pushed him to the bike. I broke four ribs and blew up my AC joint last year in May, literally my first mountain bike ride of the season, the first one. And I was so mad just because I was so looking forward to like a good riding season. And that went back to, you know with with four broken ribs um i was back to like all i can do is walk right now and so it kind of put me back on that program and then from there what i could do was run very gingerly on a treadmill like no off camber anything that would still be like excruciating on the ribs but if i was like running with sort of you know my best Attempt at perfect form and not dealing with any off camber stuff. I could at least run that was kind of the next phase and man I was grateful for that right and then eventually my shoulder was bad enough that I wasn't able to to get on a mountain bike till pretty late into last year, but then trail running was what I felt more comfortable doing. And so I think like, yeah, maybe this is just becoming more well-rounded people or something, but understanding the avenues. When that door closes, you got these other doors you can walk through. Now, y'all are kind of nodding as if you're in agreement with that, but doesn't this get us back a little bit to the question of like people who identify as runners? Because we're spending a lot of time in this conversation talking about not running
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think part of being a runner is not running um, because it is totally – I mean, especially doing long-distance stuff, it beats the hell out of you. Like, I don't think there's anyone out there who's going to sit there and tell you a straight face, like, yeah, running 100 miles is super good for you. Like, great idea. And so, like, even for – like, I certainly still identify as a runner, even though I spent a whole lot of time this last year on the bike – and I, I think that even for people who identify as a runner, uh, it's, it's not going to be all running all the time because we're just physically not built to run, you know, nonstop all the time. And so it really is a question of figuring out that balance. And then also, yeah, like shifting your mindset to be like, yeah, I am still a runner and I'm still 100% in on that. But that doesn't mean I'm going to like, you know, break my body down Year round, just to get to that, you know, whatever it is you think you're chasing by doing that. So, I don't know. I mean, I think the (laughs) in general, you know, it kind of gets thrown around a lot that running or sports in general are kind of like, oh, it's a metaphor for life and it really prepares you for like the hard things in life. And I don't, I don't necessarily buy that all the time because most of us who do outdoor activities have pretty easy lives, generally speaking. But I do think kind of what you were saying, Jonathan. There's definitely a kernel of truth in that, in that like, yeah, doing sports and running and things like this is good because it makes us realize that like, yeah, this is something I really want to do, but I also have to like do it responsibly and do it as a well-rounded person. And that means like, yeah, appreciating really small steps, like going from walking on a treadmill to running on a treadmill. And it means sometimes just not running. Mm
2: -hmm. Matt? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I also think that for me, at least, I always confront my relationship to running when I feel that it is no longer serving me outside of the time I spend running. Um, ideally, I would want like my identity as a runner and the time I do spend out in the trails to like feed back into other areas of my life. And oftentimes, like, I will get so obsessed in like fixated on running that it will detract. And that's when I, I, I know I need to take a break or rather reevaluate, um, what's going on. Uh, and I think running in winter and a part of running in winter can be to like reassess and reevaluate and kind of give your body and brain a chance to reset. Um, so that's, it's kind of what I'm trying to still work on. Uh, I think it gets easier as you have more experience in the sport and you go through injury. It does kind of humble you. But I'll be the first to tell you, like, when I get injured, I swear off running irresponsibly. I'm never going to run under an eight-minute pace. But then three months later, I'm back trying to hammer as hard as I can. (laughs) Yeah. It can be addictive, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like it's that feeling, that kind of feeling of like you're kind of constantly on this knife edge between extreme fitness and injury. And to me, like I get, a, I get a big, like adrenaline kick from, from straddling that.
1: Totally. And I think there's a part of, uh, just human nature broadly. That's like, this feels awesome right now to be like feeling fit and running fast and like, you know, hauling down this trail or whatever. And you know, the part of your brain that's like, maybe I shouldn't be running 6:30 pace on a steep Rocky downhill on an easy day kind of gets pushed to the back and it's it's yeah it's a lot harder to keep that long range focus in the front of your mind
0: well guys um this is not where i thought this conversation was going to uh take us today as you know our our agenda was to get into a lot more of some of the nuts and bolts and brass tacks of like winter running and training but i'm not at all mad about where this conversation sort of took us. I just love these questions of identity and what what I do think is something that is pretty unique to endurance sports and and running. I really appreciate like where we where we went in this one. So, let's do this though. We're going to break for now, um but let's say that we will come back and I think we've been talking a little bit off air about you know, revisiting just the notion of running and injuries and how maybe that's a bit different from getting injured as a mountain biker or as a skier or something. We will definitely come back and do another conversation that is a bit more, uh, you know, talking about maybe some of the gear that you guys like to use for winter running. And we'll, we'll have the nuts and bolts conversation later. But but Gordon, I think you said at the top of this conversation that maybe this should this episode should be called "Winter Running and the Meaning of Life." I think we will, and I think you were you somehow ended up being right about that. And um, we we just followed your title that you threw out. So good stuff. Well, listen, guys, um, thanks. This was a good conversation, Gordon. Um, great to have you back on off the couch, Matt. You did good. On your first ever podcast, your first ever off the couch podcast, and I don't know, your first sort of public appearance as, uh, as our new running editor. So we're really excited to have you on board and, and to be working with you and um, yeah, looking forward to just pushing further everything we've been doing on the running side and just trying to level it up.
2: Likewise, likewise.
0: Thanks, guys. Um, I'll let you guys get going. Um, happy running or not running as the case may be. And uh, I'm looking forward to circling back with both of you to do a more nuts and bolts of winter running.
1: Can't wait. It's going to be great.
0: All right, guys, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Well, that's it for this edition of off the couch. I want to say thanks to Matt and Gordon for the very good and kind of surprising conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode And thanks to all of you for listening. If you are enjoying these off-the-couch podcast conversations, we really would appreciate it if you would leave us a nice rating or review in Apple Podcasts. There haven't been a lot of ratings or reviews, so I think our ratio of downloads and listens to reviews is pretty out of whack at the moment. So it would mean a lot to us especially since a couple of the people who left ratings seem to not maybe have gotten the joke in some previous episodes of Off the Couch. If you've heard all the episodes, shout out Cappuccino Cowboys. Anyway, help us out if you are enjoying the show. And if you aren't, well, man, apologies. Really sorry about that. Anyway, we've got another really good Off the Couch episode in store for next week. And if you never have before this would be the week to check out our gear 30 podcast because we just dropped a conversation about a major new initiative, a new program at blister called blister labs. And we've already got some pretty good ideas for some of the testing of running equipment that we might be taking a look at with this whole new blister labs program. So check that out and we will talk to you again real soon.